You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Welcome to the CEO Podcast. This month, Washington Hospitality Association President and CEO Anthony Antone dives into the topic of teen labor, how tapping into this demographic can help with your labor shortage and what you need to know before you start hiring. First up, Anthony talks with Reed Simic, Youth Employment Specialist with Labor and Industries. Later, Superintendent Chris Rakedalt from the Washington Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction joins Anthony to discuss why employment is good for teens. If you have any questions about this month's episode, email podcast at wahospitality.org. This episode is sponsored by Healthcare Solutions. For more information, visit wahospitality.org. And now, here's Anthony. Well, Lisa, thanks for that, that intro. I'm excited about our podcast today. Of course, I'm always excited. I think people would probably tell you. We are in the middle of a workforce scarcity like none other workforce shortage workforce crisis there's all kinds of memes going on for it and people are really trying to say what are some of the solutions and some people are asking me should i reconsider hiring teen labor so we're going to explore that a little bit today with a couple of different folks we have on the podcast and let's talk about this past month we just had and a couple of things you ought to know you know some of the things we start out are so negative let's just start out with a fun one we are partnering with the seattle mariners on september 27th to bring the industry hospitality industry night as with the Seattle Mariners. So go to our website and you can find a place to click and get $10 to $20 tickets for your team. And so Mariners are in the middle of this awesome playoff run. I don't know if anyone else is staying up past their normal sleep time to watch the close of, of Mariner games here lately, but man, it's been a lot of fun to watch this team. And the idea that we can say thank you to our team on September 27th, $10 tickets for the Mariners, that's just a great deal. The association's making none of, none of this, uh, making no money off this. This is just to try to celebrate our industry a little bit, a chance to talk about the value of our industry and celebrate our team. So if you're looking for something nice for your team to do, click on that and maybe consider getting your crew not working or I believe it's a Monday or Tuesday night. So maybe that's one that you can say, we're going to celebrate our team tonight and, and join me. I will be there with our team at the T-Mobile Stadium. So that's one area where we bring value. Let's talk about some information. We, one of our goals is to be your primary source of information. Our comm team is doing a really great job in working with our membership team to bring you everything you need to know about Working Washington 5. The deadline is that is coming up. We've got a podcast out there. We've got links out there. Our membership team has been trained by Department of Commerce to answer as many questions as they can or get right back to you. If you're struggling with something, reach out to your territory manager and they'll be able to help you. If you don't know your territory manager's name or you're looking for the link, one, if you listen to the podcast, you can go to the podcast notes wherever you downloaded the podcast. And all these links will be right there, including the ones for Working Washington 5. Or you can email at podcast at wahospitality.org and say, can you send me an introduction to your territory manager? And we'd be glad to do it. And they can make contact with you and make sure you have everything you need to apply for the Working Washington 5 grant, which is going to average about $20,000 for folks. It's a, it's a strong grant. 
This is not the hospitality grant that will still be hopefully coming out later in the month. Commerce is a little bit delayed, but we are pushing for that to make that happen. On the government affairs side of things, uh, the new food code starts getting enforced on September 1st. And we have a toolkit for everything you need to know on that. So again, go into the notes on your podcast and look up uh, the food code toolkit and make sure you're doing everything you need to know. So when your inspector gets there, you impress them that, hey, I'm already doing it versus what are you talking about? And I didn't know I had to do that. Uh, So let's get you ahead of the game where we can. Also, when you're talking to your inspector and otherwise, anytime something gets rolled out new, uh, you have the the monkeys in a chain element where the lead food code person to the street food code person don't always say the same thing. So if you hear anything doesn't match up with what we say or just doesn't sound right to you, please reach out to us. We are teaming with the State Department of Health and local health departments to try to have one unified food code. So you shouldn't be hearing anything that we're not saying. And if if you are, let us run that down and be your advocates to get you the right answer or clarify with the Department of Health. On uh, helping our workforce succeed, we are making a big push on our ServeSafe classes. So if you'd like to schedule a ServeSafe class in your area, and now that the workforce is back and you're getting everyone trained again and it's becoming a little more stable, we'd be love to get your ServeSafe manager certificate. That is going to be required on March 1st of next year. So let's get ahead of the classes. If you have an idea for a partnership in your area to have regular classes, let us know that as well. Again, you can find information out on SurfSafe in the podcast notes or email us. With that, that's a little bit of delivery on government affairs, on communication, on value, and and on, on our workforce. So speaking of workforce... We know that we're in a workforce crisis or scarcity. You've been hearing me say for the better part of a year, there's no more help coming. To to verify that just a little bit, our employment to population ratio is now higher than it was in 2019, which was already a high. We now have more people working than we've ever had work in the state's history. So our labor force as a whole in Washington state is bigger than it's ever been. Our unemployment rates are incredibly low. And across the state, we're generally seeing people below natural unemployment. In King County, we're seeing people far below natural unemployment. All these stats point to there ain't no more workers. So you have to slug it out on the marketplace, get creative, use technology, or try something different. And one of the areas, you know, I can state a problem, but not giving you any ideas, I feel, isn't what we should be doing. When I was looking at the labor participation rates, because yes, I look at labor participation rates, and I was looking at them by age category. You know, generally we're seeing labor participation rates within two, three points of their 30-year averages, except for one group, which is the over 55 group. We're seeing people delay their retirement longer and longer and longer. If you look back to 1992, you saw roughly 29%, so less than 30% of those over 55 still working. If you look 
today we're crawling around 40% of that over 55 group working. The challenge of that is they're going to retire and that's a big group of people. So that group is the boomers. My generation, which is Gen X, is much smaller. So as that participation of really high number groups starts falling off, it's going to create more openings, which means we're not solving this workforce crisis anytime soon. And that was one big area of difference. The other one is the inverse of that. If you look at teen labor, and you look back to 1992 and even 1997, over 50% of teens were working. And then today, right around 36, 35% of teens are working. So that's a 15 point drop. So there's a labor pool there that if you can figure out the creative way to attack it, it is available. Well, I'm saying that, but I also recognize there's a lot of challenges with teen labor. The, the penalties are higher, the flexibility is not there, and there's some parts of the teen labor rules that don't work for our industry. But we have to think differently. We have to be open to things that we normally wouldn't consider. So I did want to invite today Ellen and I to the podcast and talk about maybe some of the myths about uh, teen labor, maybe some of the things that they didn't know, and, and let's be clear on what the rules are. And then also we invited Superintendent Reichdahl uh, from OSPI to the podcast to talk about one of his new proposals because he believes that teen work is good and actually helps people develop, which we've always believed in our industry, and helps set up people for a strong future. So he has some ideas out there as well. So let's do a quick commercial break, and uh, then we'll come right back with our friends at LNI. Healthcare Solutions is a suite of healthcare products specifically curated for hospitality. The Washington Hospitality Association leveraged the buying power of our membership to cultivate the best rates for our industry. We offer medical, supplemental, and additional categories of healthcare with an array of products and providers. Email healthcare solutions at wahospitality.org. I want to welcome to the podcast Reed Simic from LNI. Reed is one of the leaders for teen employment and the teen rules over at LNI, and we've asked him to be here today to help guide employers. Reed, earlier in the podcast, I was mentioning that a lot of people are looking at teen employment maybe for the first time since the rules changed in 1998, or they got into the industry and everyone said you can't hire teens in industry, so they didn't. <laughs> and now they're considering it for the first time. And so what I was hoping you could do is maybe give an introduction to our industry for those who might be looking at it for the first time of what they should know about teen workers and where they go from there. But before we jump into the details, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. From from a broad perspective, what is LNI's approach on, on, on teen labor? Is Are they agnostic? The rules are just the rules? is an area of emphasis for a variety of reasons. Give us the big picture of when LNI looks at teen labor and teen labor rules. Are they encouraging employers to do it? Just do it the right way? Are they just here are the rules as an area of emphasis because of fear? Give us the big picture. Yeah. So big picture, uh, LNI's emphasis is making sure that teens are working in safe environments. You know, in 2021, we saw there were 800 injuries affecting minors, uh, which is just anybody that's under the age of 18. 
which represented a 30% increase over the 2020 numbers. So big picture, our focus is making sure that minors are working in that safe environment. So if employers do have questions about some of the rules that were implemented to make sure that minors are working in those safe environments, we're more than happy to work with them and answer any questions that they may have. You know, Reed, before we get into all the, the details of the hours and those things, if you're considering hiring teens, the first thing you need to do is get the, uh, the stamp on your business license. Uh, how does someone make sure that, did I get it when I originally got my business license, I need to go check, and or if someone hasn't, how do they get that process started? Yeah, so the first thing you need is a minor work permit, uh, which is an endorsement on your business license. So in order to check to see if you have it, you can go to your Department of Revenue account uh, and see if that's active or do a public lookup through the Department of Revenue. Uh, if you don't have a minor work permit or if you would like to renew your minor work permit, uh, you would go through the business licensing uh, application process with the Department of Revenue. And if they just grab their license out of a drawer and assuming anyone has files in a drawer anymore, <laughs> we're not all electronic. Is it actually on there? Will they see, if they just can't remember, will they see it just stamped on there somewhere, shape or form? Yeah, so it will be text-based, uh, but they will have a minor work permit endorsement as active on their business license. And then as part of the, the permit, it will also list uh, the age groups that you anticipate hiring uh, and then the job duties that you anticipate them having. And then how long, if I don't have it today, how long should I expect that process to take to get it? Yeah, so the process only takes a couple of days. We review minor work permit applications every day and approve them. If we have any questions about potential job duties that are listed for the minors, we will call to get some additional information. Well, Reed, you may, you may not know this about our industry, but we are dominantly mom and pop or dominantly small. 85% of our employers have less than 20 workers. And most people are getting into the industry and they, they just don't know anything about this. <laughs> if they've never hired a teen worker before and they want to know, what do I need to know from an hours perspective? Let's start there. Where would you direct them? Sure. So the first thing that anybody hiring minors should do is go to LNI's website. And on that website, we have information on all of the documents you need to hire minors, all of the rules that come with hiring minors. But specifically for ours, the thing to keep in mind is that minors are limited in the amount of hours that they can work. And that changes depending on the time of year. So during the summer and school vacations, minors can work full-time hours, but during the school year, they're limited to part-time hours, though there are a, a couple of ways that minors can work additional hours. Let's focus on the 16 and 17-year-olds, mm -hmm. um, because I, um, honestly, the association isn't recommending anyone hire a 14 and 15-year-old. The rules are just tough and the, and the, and the penalties are high. They're equally tough on 16 and 17, but they are more flexible. How many hours a day can a 16 and 17-year-old 
work and, and, and when do they have to be off work? So during the school year, 16 to 17 year olds uh, as a baseline can work four hours a day, Monday through Thursday, and then eight hours a day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You asked as far as when they have to be off, uh, if they have school the next day, typically your Sunday through Thursday, then they would have to end work by 10 p.m. If they don't have school the next day, typically your Friday and Saturday nights, uh, they can work until midnight. A lot of people might hear that and, and they see the big chart and they start saying, great, I'll hire, I can make something work. But I also think, the, are the break rules a little bit different for teens as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the rules for meal and rest breaks for minors are slightly different than for adults. Uh, one big thing to know is that minors can't waive their breaks like adults can. So minors do have to receive both their meal and rest breaks. Uh, as far as meal breaks for 16 to 17 year olds, they have to receive a, a 30 minute uninterrupted break when working shifts that are longer than five hours and they can't work more than five hours without that break. There's a timing requirement as well. Uh, so they need to get that 30 minute meal break between the second and the fifth hour of their shift. Uh, as far as rest breaks, they just need to have a 10-minute paid break when they're working shifts longer than four hours. It's not three. There's a rumor out there it's three hours for teens. Is that, no, it's, is that a misunderstanding? Yeah, so it is four hours for teens. There's a waiver out there, correct? If you If the school and the parent are like, I want my kid to work, is there a way to make that happen? One of the documents that you need before having a minor start working for you is what's called a parent school authorization form. It's a three-page document making sure that you as the employer, the minor, and then the minor's parent and their school are all on the same page when it comes to the hours that they can work or their job duties. And Part of that parent school authorization form is what's called a special variance. It's a little box that's at the bottom of the third page. If that is signed by both the minor's parent and the minor's school, uh, they can automatically work an additional two hours a day, so six hours instead of four hours, uh, and they can automatically work an additional eight hours per week, so 28 hours per week rather than 20 hours per week. Does it allow them to work later past 10 o'clock? So it doesn't, yeah. So the special variance doesn't change the start or stop times for minors. So they would still have to abide by that 10 p.m. cutoff on school nights and the midnight cutoff on non-school nights. Reed, we talked a little bit about the special variance you can get with the school and the uh, and the parent. Um, and you don't even need to go through the line for that one. But there's more than there's more than just that variance if you really want to employ teens but the current rules don't work for you. Can you tell us about some of the other variances that might be available? Yeah, so the big one is what's called the minor work variance or the regular variance. This is a separate form uh, that you can find on LNI's website that you'll need to download and fill out and then email it to the email address that's at the top. But the regular variance allows greater flexibility when it comes to when minors can work. So you would use this for minors that are not enrolled in school, homeschooled, or 
potentially doing like an online school, alternative school, and they have greater flexibility when it comes to being able to work during school hours, being able to work before or after the normal start and stop times for minors during the school year, or to be able to work just additional hours. If that's something that you are interested in, uh, like I said, you just download it from the website and submit it for approval. When you're looking at the hours violations, what are the most common violations you're citing a restaurant or a hotel for? Yeah, so the most common violations for hours of work that we see are, uh, particularly during the school year, minors that are working above the allowed hours per day uh, or above the allowed hours per week. Uh, We also see violations occur when minors are working during the the hours that their neighborhood schools in session. Um, that requirement does apply to all minors. Uh, so even if they are homeschooled, taking online classes, or not enrolled in school. One of the areas or one of the reasons that a lot of employers walked away from hiring teens or just don't consider it is their lawyers have told them the penalties are just so high, even when you make a common sense mistake. Like maybe a teen said, yeah, I've taken my break. And in fact, they hadn't, or they didn't write it down or something happened and an hour just got miscalculated. You thought they came on at four 30, they came on at five or in today's world, they, they trade shifts, right? Which is really common. And, and the computer didn't catch it and they showed up for work. And so all of a sudden that you have this really foreboding penalty. Is that a risk that the lawyers have warned us about accurate and and a strong reason to really think carefully about hiring teens? Or do you think it's maybe not as played out as feared? In in 2021, there were approximately 36,000 businesses that had that minor work permit endorsement on their business license, meaning that they've been approved to go ahead and hire minors. In that time period, we issued 113 citations. We see that the vast majority of employers in Washington are following the rules when it comes to the hours of work for minors and and the break requirements. Uh, Of course, if we do find instances sometimes where there are violations, they can result in monetary penalties. But again, we're seeing that the vast majority of businesses are staying within the rules. In just reading the citations, are are the penalties higher for, for teen violations than a normal uh, adult worker for, for an hour's violation? So there's not the same sort of requirements for adult workers. The penalties for violation is something that is unique to teen workers. So there is some uniqueness when it comes to penalties when it comes to, to teen workers. Yes. But what I heard you say is, while the risk is there, you're not seeing a ton of violations on employers to to violation ratio. Yes, we're not seeing a really high rate of um, employers that are hiring minors that have the violations. Let's switch over to the workplace safety side. What are the most common violations you see in restaurants and hotels on the workplace safety side? for 16 and 17 year olds? As far as uh, safety, the 
most common violations that we see are minors working in prohibited duties. Uh, so those are certain uh, occupations or using certain tools that are considered too dangerous for minors to operate. Uh, in restaurant industries, typically we see that around like power-driven kitchen equipment. Uh, so powered mixers, uh, dough rollers, things of that nature. Uh, we also see it with powered slicers uh, being used to operate meat or any other type of, of uh, food. As far as hotels, the most common prohibited duty that we see is minors using uh, cleaning chemicals that are corrosive or toxic. Can you give an example to an operator who just, you know, just doesn't think about it that way? It's a cleaning material. It's been in their, their thing. What might be a common source of that corrosive cleaning chemical that just, if you're an average person and you're just trying to get the hotel clean, you may not realize you're in violation. If you're using cleaning cleaning chemicals, uh, I'd really recommend looking at the safety data sheet for each of them uh, and seeing what that says as far as whether or not it's considered corrosive, toxic, or if it's just a, an irritant for people. It's also important to check to see if there are any type of personal protective equipment uh, that's required to safely operate the chemical or use the chemical. Is there a conversation? I mean, just generally speaking, is work good for teens? Is there a belief in that one way or the other? Or is that an agnostic approach? You're, you're simply enforcing rules that are there. Do they believe that, you know, getting a job when you're 16, 17 year olds is a positive or is it, is it a challenge and something we need to be careful with? Yeah, so we think that uh, having minors work is positive both for employers and for minors, uh, but we really want to make sure that the minors are working in safe environments uh, and are appropriately uh, focusing on school as well. Well, we appreciate you coming on board of the podcast today, and uh, let's wish your team the best of the start of school year as people look at this and and hopefully we uh, see positive results moving forward. So uh, have a great fall and uh, thanks for being on. Thank you. Thanks for, ha thanks for having me. When we come back, Superintendent Chris Rakedahl. We're honored to have Superintendent Chris Reichdahl from OSPI with us today. If you don't know about Chris, he's really the leader of our state's education system in K-12 and been working with the industry for a long time in our ProStart program and in other areas. Chris, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, I'm, I'm excited you could take the time for it. The reason I was excited to have you here today is I read about a press conference and a news release you had, I believe it was earlier this month, on a new policy and proposal you're looking at with teens and, and workers. Can you talk us to us a little bit about what, what you're hoping to do with that and what it is? Yeah, you bet. We've got about 50,000 high school students in the state over the age of 16 that work every year. Uh, that's a statistic that's pretty consistent nationally. Um, as you might imagine, they're in a lot of diverse efforts, but a lot is service. A lot of it's food industry, agriculture, but it's also manufacturing and some other things. But our estimate is that like less than 7,000 of these students are getting any high school credit for it. So as you know, you and I have talked about in the past and as well documented, teen employment rates are way down in the country. Teen participation rates in the labor market are down. And there's just certain things we can't replicate in school. 
but we forced a lot of young people to make a really tough trade-off. We now have one of the most rigorous credit requirements in all of the high school systems in the country. And so now they've had to forego a lot of work, even when they want to or need to, to make sure they're getting all their credits in. But we've determined that you know kids really have choice on four of the 24 high school credits. That's, that's where they get the most flexibility. And they ought to be able to choose work as the use of their time, paid work experience, to count for those elective credits if they choose. They're picking it. We love weight training. We love phys ed, arts, social studies, all the content areas. But right now, students don't really get to pick work and the skills that come with it as an elective option. A few of them do, not many. We're trying to really grow that so it's a viable choice for a lot of young people. Well, your proposal is so timely and, and exciting for the industry to hear about it and learn about. As you probably know, we're short about 25,000 workers in Washington. And pretty much if you look at the adult population and natural unemployment, everybody's hired and working. And we lost a lot of our workforce during COVID to other people who were still open. So for the first time in years, our industry is considering employers who hadn't considered hiring teens 20 years ago or stopped hiring teens 20 years ago are now reconsidering and saying, how do we do this? So the idea that we could work together and find a way for it to be a win-win, is your is it an agency proposal? Is it legislation? Or for those who don't know, um, how can they learn more? So our state has some existing what we call work-based learning statutes, which is what's allowing a limited number of students to do this. Uh, but it's awfully complicated. Right now, uh, we're qualifying certain employers. We're qualifying certain students. We put teachers through extra credentialing to oversee that. What we're going to do is use authority we have in our agency to draft rules. So there'll be a public process, but it doesn't have to go through the legislature. Um, and we're going to open up those rules significantly to say any work counts if it's documented work. 360 hours of work will get you a high school credit. So a lot of students will be able to achieve uh, two credits a year with a, you know, nine or 10 hour a week job and a summer job combined, or maybe 15 to 16 hours a week and, you know, not really work much in the summer. There's a lot of ways they can do it, but up to four credits, uh, no more than two credits a year after the age of 16. So we're talking mostly the junior, senior year. You're talking about some students who, if they really take up the opportunity, could get two of their six high school hours a day in credit made up by going to the workforce, working in a restaurant, working in a hotel, working in, in retail or egg or anything. We just don't want this thing that's been happening, which is qualifying certain employers and saying some work matters and some work doesn't matter. That's not fair. All work needs to be honored. And we've got an economy that has to be built. And as I said, we just we can't always replicate skills, even customer service, timeliness, financial management, inventory. These things you learn by making a pizza or working uh, in retail or uh, working somewhere else, these are huge skills for kids to learn and apply real world to. And in a state like ours that's paying 13, 14, 15 bucks an hour or more, that's a pretty good gig for a high school kid. So I might be thinking differently if this were seven and a half bucks an hour in another state, but this is real. And for a lot of our students, they have to work to help their families. It's time that they earn some high school credit. So Entirely by rule, public process, we want lots of feedback, but this doesn't need to go through the legislature at this point. Well, we're excited to hear about your, your, your creative thinking and, and you're looking at this. We really appreciate this. As our team can work with you or share ideas, I, I know you always will always have a good relationship and working together. Let me talk a little bit more about teen labor. If you were advising an employer today, right? We've had another 20, 30 years of science to study how works impact kids, what the right balances are. 
if a, if a neighbor of yours had a pizza place or, a, you know, was the owner of the local Best Western or something, and they were reconsidering hiring teens, how would you advise them to start fresh? What are the warnings? What would you encourage them to do from a what's best for the kids perspective? Yeah, obviously, you know, we've got important safety frameworks in our state uh, around all labor, not just youth employment, but all labor. So obviously following those uh, very, very closely. With young people, I think it's more about making sure that they get an orientation to the work. Uh, we're trying to create the incentive for them to want to do more of that with some high school credit, but uh, obviously focusing on safety first, but then giving them the ability to, to do the work that allows them to connect their learning. So they're not just you know running a till or a register or entering in uh, financial transactions. Encourage them to think about how it connects to their school. Encourage them to think about assignments that they have to do that they can sort of apply to the, to the workforce. And obviously, we want them to get real jobs with real uh, benefit there. So it, it is about helping them understand there's high expectations too. Young people need to show up on time and they need to and they need to work hard. And I think that's good because a lot of them figure out that it's that's amazing that it helps them in school later. And some of them figure out this isn't for me and I don't want to do this. And that's a good thing to figure out as well. So obviously, in a state like ours, it pays a really healthy minimum wage. I think it's important to be intentional about recruiting them, uh, talking about how they can earn some high school credit for this, uh, obviously following safety protocols, and then being super mindful that today's young person isn't like when we grew up. The mental health impacts, the fact that these smart devices are following them everywhere, just in terms of stimulus, there's a constant pressure on them. And so I think, I think for many of them, to be candid with you, they need to be told it's okay. Put your phone down. When you come here, you can just focus on work. You can learn here. It's hands-on. Uh, that pressure will be there later. And then always, always, always remember these folks still have classes. So be mindful of those closing hours and make sure they're getting sleep and check on their mental health and personal health. Employers who really kind of wrap their arms around young people to say, we, we need you, we want you, and we want you to be successful. They're the ones who are going to get that real loyalty. And we see that across the sectors today. And as you pointed out, the low participation rates in the total labor market and, and really, really uh, low unemployment People get choices, and right now they're picking employers where they feel like they're really uh, they have a sense of ownership and support. We appreciate all those comments, and then very much we agree. I think a lot of us feel like we got our first job in the industry, and that helped ground us. You know, and it wasn't the job we were going to have forever, but it was a job that helped us get started. And we'd love to continue to provide that or provide it to even more people moving forward. So thank you for your proposal. Thanks for your passion for kids. We're going to put in the chat more information about your uh, your proposals so if people want to learn more or engage, they can. So good luck with the rulemaking forward. Thank you. Please weigh in. If folks have ideas uh, and ways to make it better, we'll be out there in a public way in the next couple of months, and we want some feedback, but we are pushing forward through this thing. Well, thank you, and have a great and have a great start of the school year yourself, and, uh, and look forward to getting there. So with that, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Well, I got to tell you, it's exciting to to hear one of our, our lead state officials talk about it's good for kids to work. And as long as we're keeping them around 20 hours, we see positive development. And maybe that's the momentum we can build on as we're trying to find solutions for our workforce moving forward. I want to wrap up the podcast by reminding you, these are just trying to get ideas out to you. Your lawyers are going to say, be really careful hiring teens and they're right. And the common sense mistakes can be tough. But again, we are looking at four or five years of being short 20,000 some workers. And so if you're short today and the more those boomers retire um, as, as their 
lengthened retirement finally says, okay, now I'm 75, now I'm 80, now I'm actually done. Um, until Gen Xs start moving into that and there's fewer Gen Xers to start kind of the reverse of this labor trend, uh, you're going to have to think creatively. And so with that, this is an area where we're just not seeing participation that we saw pre-rules. And there is a work of people out there who say they would like to work if we can be creative. And that's all I'm trying to do is put in front of you the creativity. This is a tool. Certainly the other tools include technology, really looking at the profitabilities of specific shifts, asking yourself um, tough questions. Can you get more productivity out of high-end workers with higher pay than multiple um, low-pay workers? All these things are options that you're going to have to play out to figure out how you attack this for the next five years. But I'm asking you to have a strategy. The information you heard on today's podcast is available in the show notes. The team is putting together a, a teen toolkit along with the other links you've heard about today. Uh, please explore those. And if you have other ideas we should share with people about how to attack the workforce shortage, let us know. With that, thanks for allowing us to serve you. It's really a privilege and an honor to try to help this industry get through this. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next month. Thank you for joining us for this month's CEO podcast. You can find our new teen labor toolkit at wahospitality.org. Thanks again to our sponsor, Healthcare Solutions, and we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.